from a high level of inspiration. If you notice, the Gospel of John is in a lot of little handouts. Robert Henderson wrote this. It's called Life Can Change in an Instant. And it says, it's not too late to make a lane change. It is his testimony. It is a powerful, powerful read. Why? Because not only does he give his testimony, he puts the entire Gospel of John inside this. And it's very, very inspiring. His testimony is very, very inspiring. And when you read this and you read the gospel, you see how it was the word of God and this miraculous moment that brought him to truth. And you look at him today. He's a powerful man of God. Who would like this? Anybody like Oh, she had her hand. It shot up. You want to pass that back? Don't hold that one. You pass it back. So let's read. Jesus comes to a wedding. This is John chapter 2. Now, I'm going to point out a few things as we're reading along here, and it's important that you pay attention to the symbolism, okay? I've been on, a, I've been on this study for quite a while, and it's really gripped my heart, and I hope, I hope this makes sense. But he says, now on the third day, Jesus' mother went to a wedding feast in the Galilean village of Canaan. Jesus and his disciples were all invited to the wedding banquet. But with so many guests, they ran out of wine. And when Mary realized that she came to Jesus and asked, they have no wine. Can't you do something about it? <laughs> Here's Jesus' reply. My dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it will change nothing for you, but it will change everything for me because it will reveal the power that Jesus has. That's just added for emphasis. He says, my hour of unveiling, my power has not yet come. And listen to mom. She says, Mary then went to the servers and told them, whatever Jesus tells you to do, you do it. <laughs> so Jesus, being a good son, does what his mother asks. Nearby stood six stone water pots. Remember those six stone water pots. And remember the servers. It doesn't name or call out or say anything about the servers' name were Bob, Sally, whatever. It doesn't say it. They're unnamed servants. Nearby stood six stone water pots, remember that, meant to be used for the Jewish washing rituals. Each one could hold about 20 gallons or more. Jesus came up to the servers and instructed them, fill the pots with water right up to the very brim. Then he said, now fill your pitchers and take them to the master of the ceremonies. So they pour water into these big old huge vessels that hold about 20 gallons. So they're pouring a lot of water in there. And then he says, now scoops them out and take it. Take it to the master of the ceremonies. And when they poured out their pitchers for the master of the ceremonies to sample, the water had become wine. When he tasted the water, the master of the ceremonies, when he tasted the water that had become the wine, the master of the ceremonies was impressed with its quality. Although he didn't know where the wine had come from, only the servers knew he called the bridegroom over and he said this famous statement. He said, every host serves his best wine first until everyone has had a cup or two and then he serves the cheaper wine. But you, my friend, you've reserved the most exquisite wine until now. In this miracle in Canaan, this miracle in Canaan was the first of many extraordinary miracles Jesus performed in Galilee. Why? That revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Wow. There is so much going on 
in this short passage. And I just want to point it out because I want you guys looking everywhere for the signs of God. Amen? God can be moving right next to you. And right, have you ever had that moment? You kind of walk by and you realize that was a God moment. And, and I didn't tune into it. I love it when we read the word of God and we read it again and again. And these stories start to come out and these points are highlighted. And they bring incredible life to our heart. That's why the word says that it's always living. It's active, sharper than a two-edged sword. When I read the book of Acts again and again and again, I see things in there I never saw before. And as I grow in my understanding of the spirit and how he works and wants to operate in my life, he reveals more and more to me. That just makes things more and more clear. But I believe that this, this miracle, number one miracle that John puts in his book first, is probably one of the most misunderstood miracles that are documented. And yet, this miracle results in his disciples putting their faith in Jesus. This miracle is that he used to reveal his glory. He started out of the gate with this one, and his disciples believed. This miracle, when you, when you look at it at face, when you compare it to some of the other miracles in the other books of the Gospels, you'll see it, it really doesn't, it, it, it almost seems insignificant when, when you're comparing it to like, let's say, casting out of demons or healing people of leprosy. What? Water into wine? What's the big deal? This miracle took place because of an embarrassing discovery that had happened and, and, at, at a family wedding. And, and I believe Jesus really didn't have anything to do with it. But at the end of the day, his mom said, can you help out Jesus? Can we help these people? Save them from this embarrassing moment? I, I've heard in my history, in my life, I've heard some people call it, well, really the water into wine, we can replicate that. It was kind of like a little parlor trick. Others maybe would go by, you know, just a casual favor to a friend. But I'm telling you, John saw it so incredibly rich that he, he, he placed it in a place at the very beginning of the book because it showed forth Jesus' glory. When you get your head around it, that's pretty powerful. And, and so these, these big old stone water pots that were holding water. Let me back up just a second. I want to look at the symbolism. These, these stone jars... They normally held water that was used for ceremonial cleansing. Now, this is where we got to kind of break some of this down. Do you guys understand the significance of the ceremonial washing? Some of you do, some of you might not. But this was a big deal in, in the old covenant life. All of a sudden, these pots that held water are turned to wine. Now they contain an incredibly new wine, which is all, all, obviously uh, quite often associated with the new covenant. In Luke 20, 20, it says, After supper, he took another cup of wine, and he said, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice from you. So aside from, from the fact that changing water into wine requires supernatural ability, the most astonishing thing about this miracle is, again, it revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. That's what's important about this miracle. So many commentators, if you, if, you, if you read any of the commentators' comments about this miracle, a lot of them put this miracle way down on their list of great things that Jesus did, if they even include it at all. But John put it first, and he attached considerable significance to it. Was Jesus just helping a friend out with a beverage problem? 
Or was he just doing something as a favor for his mother? Or is there more going on here than meets the eye? And this is where we have to understand John and the symbolism that he uses. So we need to understand a few little bits of trivia. And uh, I get my fingers to work here. It says in the beginning of the scripture, now on the third day. The third day of the week on the Jewish calendar is Tuesday. And it's still the preferred day for weddings in Israel. Did you guys know that? Just an interesting little trivia. That's because on the original third day in Genesis chapter 1, God pronounced things good twice. It's the only time in, in, in the seven days of creation that God mentions anything twice. He said, it's good, and he announced it good twice. So the third day has become known as a day of double blessing. And it's probably the best day of the week in the Jewish culture, they believe, to start a new life. So the third day is a very significant point. The third day, double blessing. It's also a Jewish feast, and they lasted for something like seven days. And to run out of wine would be... Huh, to, would be like running out of tacos or running out of hamburgers on the grill and you still have a whole bunch of people there. What an embarrassing moment. And that's why Mary probably asked Jesus to get involved in something that really wasn't their concern, but she wanted to help. So she stepped up. And lastly, we have these stone jars. Now, this is interesting. The stone jars normally held water used again for only ceremonial washing. We get this from Numbers chapter 19. And there was a whole ritual around ceremonial washing. And these jars were filled with water, and they were used for purification from sin. And it was a symbolic act of cleansing yourself from sin. So these, these, these pots would be sitting outside of someone's home. And when you came to visit their home, you would dip, before you went into the home, you would dip your fingers into the water, and you would pull them out, and you'd wipe them clean with a towel. And then you would enter the friend's house in a ceremonial, clean way. Your sins were absolved, your sins were washed off at the door, and you didn't take it into their home and contaminate their home. Interesting. So, when we say, or we've probably all heard it, I know I have, I'm washing my hands of this matter. What we're really saying and what we really mean is we're trying to absolve ourselves of any responsibility to it. You know, this, this phrase became, uh, this phrase here, I'm washing my hands of this matter, comes from this practice. Remember Pontius Pilate? When he said, you, in the movies, you see him go over and he washes his hands. And he says, I'm, I'm washing my hands of this. His blood is not on my hands. It's on yours. So this was an important thing. So let's go a little bit deeper. We have, we have some things here. We have a day of double blessing. We have stone jars. We have unnamed servants, which we'll get to in a moment. And then we have new wine. So Jesus commanded these unnamed servants. We see there were servers. We do not see their names. He commands these servants to completely fill six jars. Six is important because six, we get from Gen Genesis chapter 1, is the day that God created man on the sixth day. So six is known as the number for man. Interesting. So here we have Jesus, again, commanding these unnamed servants to completely fill six jars. They were stoned. They were cold. And they were empty. Is this a picture of our unregenerated hearts that we see in Ezekiel? 
John just writes it out this way. In Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and I, you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all idols. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. He's talking about the coming of the Spirit of God. And he says, I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. One that beats, one that feels. How many of us want a heart that beats and feels for others? There's a lot of people right now who have stone-cold hearts. They've lost their ability to feel. They've just shut down. And I believe that John's writing this in here to remind us that it's the Spirit of God that, that regenerates our spirit. You know, in John 16, the Holy Spirit is described as the one who would not speak of himself. He would only speak of Jesus. In fact, the only way that we know anything about the Holy Spirit because we don't have a name is we know him by his job description. He is the comforter. He is the counselor. We get those words from a Greek, the word parakletos. He is the one who intercedes for us. He is our advocate. He is the one that goes down and takes care of things. It's like he goes in and he thumps things down. He takes care of it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And I believe that these, these servants, unnamed servants, are really a model of the Holy Spirit who accomplishes that work of regeneration in our hearts by filling us with living water. Is this making sense? This is so rich to me, the book of John. <clears throat> John 7 says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus said with a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Type and shadows, he's, he's laying it all out. This water that was normally used for ceremonial cleansing all of a sudden is turned into new and incredibly awesome wine. So what had been, here, here's the symbolism, so what had been formally and only temporarily cleansed by water is now become the symbolic blood of Jesus that washes us and cleanses us for eternity. The only way that you and I stand in the presence of God isn't because of anything we've done. It's not because of how great or some oracle that we were or where we moved in miracles and signs and wonders. The only way that you and I stand in the presence of God is by the blood of the Lamb. We need to understand that. A lot of symbolism going on here. The water all of a sudden, which represented the old covenant, is turned into a new wine, which represents the new covenant. This is really, really powerful. The master of the banquet, he stands up for the ceremony. He stands up and he remarks to the bridegroom, Man, you saved the best till last. Really, to me, what John is trying to say here is this signifies that the new covenant that, that, that permanently cleanses us is represented by this new wine. And that is far superior to the old covenant that is only temporary and sets aside our sins at the door for just a moment. You guys hearing this? I wrote here, now the wine these jars now contain was superior to the wine the wedding guests had been drinking before, just as the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. 
Do you guys know we're under a new covenant? And, and, and one of the reasons, you know, I, I was watching people Friday night, and some people are sitting back just processing. Well, a lot of those people are looking through a lens of a legal way of life, the old covenant. Theology things have just kind of boxed them in, and they were having a hard time with the paradigms of what was going on. It was interesting because I was walking around, and I, God was just laying people in my heart, and I'd just go sit down and start talking to them, and, and you'd realize that that's what they're wrestling with. They're seeing something. They're trying to figure out a box. Where does this all fit? And our job is to still come alongside them and help them process it through. Amen? Give them a sip and a taste of that new wine. You know, so just kind of summarizing this, guys. This first miracle to me that John wrote in the book of John, to me, it, it, it shows that he came to take us from this stone-cold and empty way of man's religion into a living and joyful relationship with him as demonstrated by a wedding celebration. Remember, there's 37 chronologically listed miracles of Jesus throughout the Gospels. But John only puts down seven. And every one that John wrote down and John recorded and how he placed them conveys something really extremely powerful. So guys, near the end of John's gospel account in John chapter 20, he said this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Now guys, I'm all about experiencing the presence of God. I love that. But you guys got to be in the word too. You know, people, few people had some questions Friday night, and I was just talking with them, and I realized that they're just not in the book. They don't know the author of the book. Some knew about the book, but they, didn't, they had never met the author. Guys, that's our job, to lead them to the author of this book. But this morning, what I want to address is the stone-cold heart. I, I just want to finish with this thought. If you have been struggling with the ability to get your head in the game, with the ability to have compassion, and, and you see people screaming at you and all this, instead of getting mad, there's something in your heart, you're just, ugh, you, and you just feel like there's this wall. That's a stone-cold heart. Where you don't feel empathy or, or concern or care about anyone. Now, I know I'm not speaking to everyone here, but I know there's people here who are struggling with a stone-cold heart. Elizabeth? Is Elizabeth still here somewhere? No? Oh, could you come up and just play something on the keyboard for a moment? It's so easy to get caught up in our own stuff. It's so easy, uh, like Steve Shaw used to say, to stare at our own navels. It's kind of weird, but... But it's easy to get really wrapped up in me, my, myself... And shut the world out. And guys, we need to open up our hearts. Because Jesus is bringing the world to us. Are we ready for this? Or are you still in this place of being stone cold and bitter? Your heart feels heavy and feels like a rock. You're like, I don't get it, God. I used to care about these things. But now, I just don't care. Let's stand. Thank <laughs> you.
If you or someone wants to experience the new wine in a way that takes that stone-cold heart and turns it to flesh, where you can feel and be sensitive and caring and loving once again, I'd like you just to come up. Just come up and I want to pray with you and pray for you. God wants to replace that stone-cold heart that John talks about, and he wants to replace it with a heart that loves, that cares. It's full of peace, full of joy. A lot of you have been embittered by people and situations, and it's been hard, and it's jaded you. Some of you have received a letter, an email, a phone call, and it's really made your heart bitter. It's jaded you. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would go down the corridor of our heart and Father, you would bring to our attention those rooms that we've kept shut for a long time that we need to let you in. Thank you, God. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just pray that you would begin to replace this stone-cold heart in us with a heart of flesh that pumps and feels tenderness, can experience joy, can experience compassion and empathy for others, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. There are some in this room that you're you're, you're, you're bitter because you've watched others prosper when you've struggled. You're like, God, I don't get it. I'm doing everything you tell me to do and, 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 and I'm still struggling. I'm telling you, God wants to heal your heart today and bring you into a whole new place. Just come forward. We want to pray with you. Just in an act of faith, man. Just step out. Can I get some prayer ministry team up here? to get this right and we got to be right as we move into the future thank you Lord it's really hard to be excited it's really hard to be joyful about Jesus and all that he's done when our hearts are filled with bitterness right it's really hard so Holy Spirit we say come Father, I pray that we could really begin to focus on the things that you are doing and not focused on the things that you haven't done. Father, if we stay at that moment where we're just staring at what you haven't done, we'll never move on. But if we look at what you're doing and what you're going to do, oh, Father, I just praise you for what you've done in our past, what you're doing in our present, and what you're going to do in our future, God. We're excited about it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, 
Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. In, in closing, I just want to add this last thing. I just see, I just see the Spirit of God handing you a new set of glasses, a new set of lenses that's going to give you an ability to not look through a jaded lens or a dirty lens, but an ability to look with clarity to what God's really doing. How many of you would like a new perspective? Yeah, yeah. Hold your hands up. You want a new perspective. Look around you guys. You all, you all get to play in the game. So just reach out to one of these. Hold your hands up still. Reach out to one of these people. Lay your hands on them and just pray that God would give them a new perspective, a fresh new anointing, a, a, a new vision for the future, one that's life and one that's not stone cold and dark, but full of life and joy and freedom. Amen. So just pray for these people. Reach out to them. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. Ha. Father, I just prayed you would anoint these saints. Wow, you'd anoint their hands as they lay them on others, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Uh. Thank you, God. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. New hearts. New hearts. New hearts. New hearts. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs>